0: This is the word of the Lord from 1 Samuel 17:40 through 54. It's the narrative of David and the, how the Lord won his battle through him with the Philistine. Then he, David, took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone, and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it with it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from Sharaim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and he put his head and he put his armor in his tent. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Well, good morning. My name is Josh Hayes. I'm the kids pastor here. uh, And so it may be appropriate that I get to preach on every kid's or at least every uh, little boy's favorite passage in scripture, uh, David and Goliath. And uh, I've done something this morning that may prove to be detrimental to my health after this service when the three-year-old class over here discovers that I've taken their favorite book. Uh, it's called David's Big Battle. And uh, from what Leslie told me this past week, um, this is like the go-to when things get a little hairy in there and you start hearing an insurrection on the other side of the wall. They grab this book and they start to read this story uh, and I, g- I guess the Spirit of God just falls on that place. I don't know. Um But uh, I think if David were here this morning, I think he would say this, that uh, this is a good little book, and I looked through it this morning, and it's pretty durable because I'm sure it takes some uh, beating back there. Um, But there's a problem with the title of this book this morning. When you look at it, it says, David's big battle. But I think if David were standing here this morning, I think David would say, no, 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 I appreciate what they're trying to do, but this was God's big battle. And he says this later on in the text, he says the battle belongs to the Lord so that all the earth, so that everyone living, this whole assembly of people gathered to fight will know that there is a God who saves. There is a mighty living God that we serve. And so I want to say this morning, I appreciate the the author's uh, effort here, uh, but we're going to call this thing God's big battle. We're going to call this thing God's big battle. Um, As we turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have a lot of ground to cover, and I don't know how we're going to beat the Methodists to lunch this morning, but we're going to do our best, (laughs) all right? We're going to do our best, but this is 58 verses worth of good, solid, soul-nourishing truth, all right? So if you're a little hungry, uh, just buckle up and hang on. We're going to try to do this this morning. Let me give you a couple, of, a couple of things to keep in mind as we uh, go through this passage. First is this. Many of you know this story. Many of you remember this story when you were uh, maybe 30, 40, 50, I don't know how many years ago, and you were sitting in the floor, and there was a flannel graph, and they were putting up little pieces of flannel all over, and uh, I see some smiles out there, so I know some of you know what a flannel graph is. Uh, that's good. Um, but when we come to something and we're familiar with it, one of the problems is this. We kind of check out. And our eyes of our hearts kind of glaze over and we, uh, we miss what God wants to say to us this morning. So let's not come with a spirit of pride because maybe God wants to say something to you about a giant, about a battle, about a struggle you're facing that's staring you down and calling you out and heaping shame on your God when your God says, I want to give you victory over this thing. Not so that you'll have your best life this week, but so that you can give me the glory and put the spotlight on me. Second, we need to be careful how we read this thing. There's sermons all over the place about David and Goliath that say, you go out and get this stone and that stone and this stone and all that. You get this stuff together. Do the right things Bible study, prayer, accountability, lead a small group, serve in your community. And if you do those things, you'll be able to take down the giants in your life. There's a problem that's putting you at the center. You don't want to be at the center. You don't want to be at the center because if you're at the center, listen to this. If everything is about you, which sometimes we think it is, if everything is about us, right? And we make meaning out of life around us or maybe we make the meaning ourselves. If that's what we think, then guess what? Everything depends on you to succeed that day. And when you roll over that morning, guess what? Failure is just around the corner. That giant, whatever it is, fill in the blank, I'm not going to name anything, you know it. When it calls out to you, If everything's about you and man is at the center and Josh is the one that the story's about, then guess what? I've got to come through every single time. And I can't. And you can't. And God displays His power and His strength in our weakness in the most amazing ways if we'll step back and see this thing through God's eyes. So let me make one more thing uh, clear to us. When we look at connections in a story like this, we gotta be careful. A lot of times we'll say, oh, I'm this, and I'm that. I'm like David, and uh, I'm like uh, the, the, you know, the rock, and I'm taking down my giants, and God says, no, 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 no. You're in the back of the army. <laughs> You're at the back of the line, right? And you needed a deliverer to step up on your behalf. You needed a champion. So let's remember who we are. My goal together today is this. I want us to learn to think differently the scripture says when our minds are renewed our lives begin to change when our minds are renewed our lives begin to change we've got to think differently about the struggles that we're facing we've got to think differently about our battles and understand that they're not about us we got to see them through God's eyes because everything if God is at the center then everything is about him everything if he spoke it all into being that leaf is about him if He spoke it all into being, then that, uh, that relationship that you're struggling about, should I cut this thing off or not? I don't know. It's about Him. And you're waffling back and forth between changing jobs or doing this or that. It's all about Him. Every struggle, every situation in our life ultimately goes back to the glory of God. God can be glorified in every struggle we face. So I want to say this to you this morning. No matter what you're facing, your biggest struggle can become the stage that God says I'm going to display my glory and I'm going to display my strength in a way like nobody's ever seen before. And I want to say something very carefully but very fitting to this past week in Alex's life. And I'm going to talk about his life. In Alex's life, God has displayed his glory. God has displayed his power and ability to save people out of a young man Who said, I'm not walking in my own strength. I'm not living under my own armor. All right, we're going to get to that. When King Saul saw David, he tried to give him. He said, here, here's my armor. Right? He gave him all he had because that's all he had to give. Alec was walking around and hopefully you're walking around in the spiritual armor of God that Ephesians 6 talks about. To use kind of a NASCAR analogy, I think people around him didn't even know it and they were drafting off of his strength. In his walk with the Lord. And hopefully that's true of you this morning. The reason David sees this thing through God's eyes is because this. He, David knew something. David knew there's no enemy. There's no power. There's no authority. There's no catastrophe. There's no giant. There's no one that can stand in the presence of our God. Greater is he who is in you if you believe in Jesus Christ than he who is out there in that world. First John chapter 4. So let's dig into First Samuel 17 and we're going to hopscotch through this thing um, together. I'll tell you as we move what verse to go to. Let's go to verse number one. The Philistines gathered their armies together to battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. This land they're camping out on belongs to God's people. They encamped between Socoh and Azekah in Ephes Damim, and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side. Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley in between them. Now King Saul was still in charge at this time. But because of his disobedience, God had lifted his spirit of anointing off of Saul and had anointed another. He had anointed another deliverer to stand in Saul's place because Saul was failing to follow his God. He should have been kicking the the Philistine armies out of God's land, but he's he's not. Because his courage and his confidence in God is crumbling. Verse 4 says this, a champion, a champion. Why do they call Goliath a champion? We're going to talk about it. A champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. We'll talk about it. He had, a bronze, he had bronze armor on his legs, so bronze shin guards for anybody who plays soccer, and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. When you carry a rifle and that thing slung between your shoulders, you feel like a man, right? I mean, Goliath is a man. This, this, this javelin is slung between his shoulders, and he's ready to do battle. The staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels, and a shield-bearer went before him. This is basically Samuel's way of saying to you, this dude was intimidating. This dude struck fear in the hearts of everybody who laid eyes on him. Everybody look over there at that basketball goal. See that orange rim? Nine feet, ten Ten inches. All right, I don't know why we couldn't get it to 10 when we hung it a few years ago, but it's 9 feet 10 inches. It's one inch taller than Goliath. All right, and you're like, for real? Come on now, man. He, if you, I'm not, go look it up. I think 1 Chronicles talks about Goliath's family history and how he came from a line of giants. They were out there. Okay, They were in the promised land. Jacob or Joshua and Caleb go to take the promised land, and they say, we can't do it. There's a, a bunch of giants that live in the land. Well, Goliath was descended From some of those. He had a helmet of bronze and an armored coat. His armored coat weighed 81% of my body weight. His armored coat was 125 pounds. I'm 155, soaking, sopping wet. And this dude's carrying most of me around on his back. And he's fighting with me on his back, okay? I tried to cross Catawba River yesterday. I was hiking, or two days ago hiking with my boys. And I got my three year old on my back, and I'm barely making it across that thing. And this big man is fighting with most of me on his back. This is a big dude. He's got bronze leg coverings and a bronze javelin. His, the shaft of his spear was 15 pounds. The shaft of his spear was 15 pounds. The, the spearhead point was 15 pounds. He's carrying a 30-pound spear. He never threw it. Why? He didn't have to. If you're man enough to carry a 30-pound spear, I'm not messing with you. All right? You can say whatever you want to, and I'm going to walk the other direction. And Scripture calls him a champion. What does that mean? Does it mean he's undefeated? Does it mean nobody can stand against him? Every weight class, he's dominated? No, it means this. Literally, a champion means one who stands between two. One who stands in the middle on behalf of his people between two. So here's how battle worked a lot of times. All right? The people who fought in the battles will be just like the men in this room. You have jobs, you have families, you have responsibilities. So you can't give your life fully to fighting in this army until there's a battle, and then you set aside the field, and you set aside the checkbook, and you go fight in the battle. So they had to supply their own rations. And so a lot of times what happened, instead of the whole army getting obliterated, they would choose one guy on this side, one guy on that side, and they would send them into the middle and say, you guys duke it out. All right? You guys duke it out, and whoever wins, that win represents the the entire people uh, on behalf of that person. So Goliath was their champion. When I wrestled in high school, I wrestled a champion. All right, Literally, he was a champion. He was uh, three times won the state tournament, uh, three years running. His freshman year finished second. Then he went first, first, first. At nationals, he finished fourth at the national tournament. He was a bad man. All right? And I knew it, and he knew that I knew it, all right? He did all kinds of things to intimidate us, horrible things, all right? He would take me down, he would take me down, and when I hit the mat, he would get behind and do what's called riding, just kind of hanging out, catching a breath, and say all kinds of awful things in my ear, all right? Things that I remember, things that I can't say to you right now, all right? Made me feel awful. I wanted that mat to swallow me up and me just to disappear. It was terrible. He made me feel, he made me feel awful. I would wake up in cold sweats when I had to face this guy. Literally, wake up. I remember waking up at 5 in the morning. I'm a 16-year-old. And this stinking guy was in my weight class for four years. He taunted me. He haunted me. I was afraid of this guy. I'm not going to say his name because I don't want to give him the glory of that if he hears this in this message. All right? But I remember what it was like to face this champion and to be afraid And I can think to myself, if I'm in the armies of Israel and I look out in 40 days and 40 nights, 80 times I hear him taunt and haunt and uh, and assault me, man, I'm going to be beat down. I'm going to have nothing left to fight with. And here he comes. And verse 8 comes out and he says, he cries out to the armies of Israel, Why have you lined up for battle? Why have you even come out here? I'm a Philistine. Aren't you the servants of Saul? Crazy question. Massive implications. He says, aren't you the servants of who? Saul. No, they're not the servants of Saul. They're the servants and the warriors and the men of the living God. And they forgot who they were. And when their enemy said, don't you serve him? They just "Uh kind of, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And they should have caught it. But there was one person later in the battle who caught it. And his name was David. Verse 9, check it out. If he's able to fight me, Goliath says, and kill me, then we'll be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, you're going to be our servants and you're going to serve us. This thing's going down one of two ways. I'm dying or he's dying. On top of that, the future of the whole nation was riding on this one guy's ability to take out the other. See, the sad part is God told him when you go to war, here's how you do it. When you go to war, remember this from Deuteronomy chapter 20. Now, how many of you in a Bible reading plan ever made it past Deuteronomy? Come on. Anybody? I think I did one time. All right? I think I did one time. It gets a little rough in there in Leviticus. You know, it gets a little difficult. But in Deuteronomy 20, God said this, when you go out to war against your enemies and you see horses and chariots and an army larger than your own, you shall not be afraid of them for the Lord your God is with you who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Let not your heart be faint or panic or be in dread of them for the Lord your God is it's he who goes with you to fight against your enemies to give you the victory. I could stop there this morning, right there. Deuteronomy is talking to us this morning. God goes with us when we face our giants. God says, you don't have to be afraid. I'm fighting in your place. I'm giving you the victory. But see, Israel forgot the promises of God. They took their eyes off of God when they didn't know what to do. King Jehoshaphat in the Old Testament had an army marching against him. He said, Lord, I don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And Israel said, Lord, we don't know what to do, and our eyes are not on you. My question for you this morning is this Whatever you're walking through this week, where are your eyes set? Where are your eyes fixed? If your eyes are not fixed on your champion, Jesus Christ, who stood between you and the enemy, you have no hope. But if you set your eyes on the one who loved you, who stood in your place, who fought a battle you couldn't fight, who secured a salvation that you couldn't earn, then let me tell you, you have hope and joy that will outlive the rest of this life and goes on into eternity. You can rest on that. I think one of the things I love about this past week is this. Through Alex's life and because of his death, people are fixing their eyes on the cross. People have turned, their spiritual eyes have been opened. They have been awakened. There's ripples of revival. And Greg and I talked about this. Man, that's the hope of this family, that this will lead people to Jesus Christ because that's who they're living for. That's who we ought to be living for. And when our lives bear it out, God gets the glory Verse 10, Goliath shows up and he says, I'm defying the ranks of Israel. Give me a man that we may fight together. He takes the snow shovel, as it were, scoops up as much shame, literally what this means, without the snow shovel. And he says, I'm heaping it on you, and I'm scooping up some more, and I'm heaping it on your God. All right? When I was a kid and we were riding the back of the bus, because I rode the bus my whole life growing up, all right? When you're on the bus and somebody's talking about you, you can handle it. And they start talking about your mama, it's on. right? It gets ugly, all right? Well, they start talking about his God. Well, guess what? Verse 11 says all the armies of Israel didn't know what to do. They had no answer. And David later on is going to hear this and do something about it. Verse 12, God introduces his unlikely hero into the storyline. Tiny kid, tiny town, tiny job, watching a few sheep out in the desert and playing the harp part-time for the king. Later on, we find out the king didn't even know who he was. Anonymity. David comes out of the house of bread, Bethlehem. Jesus comes out of the house of bread, Bethlehem. Both enter the story at just the right time to step in and deliver their people from an enemy that they couldn't stand against. 40 days and 40 nights, verse 16 says this goes on. 80 times, all right? Where's my water at? All right, you get your coffee. All right, let's say this is my coffee. You get up in the morning, you get your coffee. You go to take a sip and you hear the same old mess. The same old junk. You look at your buddy and you go, why is God allowing this? Why is God letting this thing happen to us? Why is God not stepping in? And we've asked that question this week. We don't know. We don't know. But sometimes things happen in our world that we don't understand, but we know this to be true. If God doesn't do something about it, nothing else is going to work. I've shared this before, but it's worth remembering. Maybe write this down. If dependence is the objective, then weakness is your advantage. If dependence is the objective, if trusting in the Lord with all your heart is your real goal for your life, then weakness is the only thing that's going to get you there. God shows his power in the middle of weakness so we can see how incomparably great he is. Verse 17, Jesse said to his son David, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this dried grain and these ten loaves. Run to your brothers at the camp. So he sends David, he sends him down to the battle. He says, Listen, take this food down there, and I want you to bring back a token to me to let me know how your brothers are doing, okay? Never in a million years did he expect his little son David, little shepherd boy David, to run down there and to take down this giant who had been haunting God's people for almost six weeks. Nobody expected it. Nobody saw it coming. God had it in the works all along. God was letting this giant get ripe for destruction. Like a fat tomato that's growing on the vine, right? And that thing's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what happens? If it falls to the ground, what's it going to do? It's going to bust. God's letting Goliath get louder and angrier and prouder and taunt more so that when a little shepherd boy with a rock and a piece of leather takes him down, God gets the glory. David gets to the battlefield. He takes the supplies to his brothers. They're shouting the war cry. Verse 23. Then as he talked with them, there was the champion. There it is again, the champion, the one who stood between two, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. But this time, the scripture says, David heard it. Skip to verse 26. David hears this stuff. He hears his God being railed against and he says, What's going to happen for the guy who takes this giant out? What kind of reward do we get? They tell him, you'll get a princess. You'll get a fat paycheck. You'll get tax-free status for the rest of your life for your family. And then his bitter firstborn brother shows up. I understand this. I'm a firstborn brother. All right. And Eliab looks at David and he goes, oh, David, I know why you're down here. You're here to see the battle. You're here to watch. You're here to mock and laugh, right? I know how evil your heart is. Oh, well, I'm glad, Eliab, you have the mind of God. Sometimes we speculate on people's hearts and minds and motives as if we have the mind of God, but we don't. David looks at him and says, what did I do to you? I mean, was it not just a word, right? Right? And he turns away from Eliab and he turns to the other guys. And the other guys, Scripture says, said the same thing to him, railed against him, derided him, put him down. Does that sound like anybody else you heard of in Scripture? Anybody else who was called to be a deliverer and his own people mocked him and laughed at him and called him names. And when he hung there on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. David is this deliverer that God put on the spot for this job. Jesus is the ultimate giant kill and deliverer that God put on that cross to take away your sin, to take away your guilt, to take away all the things that you have done that you think, don't, that, that you think make you unacceptable to God. And he says, now you receive this blood of mine. You let it wash away your sins and you're acceptable to me. David's heart gets emboldened and he goes out to face the giant. Saul says to him, you're not able to do this. You're just a boy. He's been fighting since he was a boy. And David's mind rolls backward. He hits the rewind button all the way back to the pasture. And he remembers his long hot days in the sun when he stood out there with his staff and with his sling. And he would watch those sheep. And what would happen was a bear would come off the horizon or a lion would come off the horizon. And it was his job to deliver that sheep. He was responsible for it. So he would go down and he would grab that dude up by the back of the neck and strike him down through the power of God. And David remembered his pasture. Listen to me, don't despise your pasture. God has you where he wants you because he is preparing to do a work through you. God has to do something in us deeply before he does anything through us. Verse 37, David says, No, the Lord who delivered me will do it again. His confidence is in God. And then verse 38 comes, and, and, and Saul tries to give David his armor, okay? So I'm going to pick on Aaron down here. Aaron's my buddy, all right? Aaron's about, about my size. And let's say Aaron wanders into J.C. Penney or Belk or Sears. I know you don't shop there. But let's just say you do, and you walk around that little loop, and you get to the end, and you're going to try on some clothes. But you're accidentally in the big and tall section, okay? And you start to put on these clothes that are just swallowing you, made for guys that are 7 feet tall, and you're four and a half or 5 feet tall. When David puts on that armor, it doesn't fit. It's awkward. He's not used it in the battle. He doesn't know what to do That He says, Saul, I can't use this stuff. I haven't I don't, I ain't even walked around in this junk. He says, I can't use it. See, Saul gives him this armor because Saul's looking at this through man's eyes. He's still looking at it from man's angle. And he's saying, David, I'm giving you what I got because here's why. Guess what? That's all he had to give. The spirit anointed power had been lifted off of him and he was not leading God's people anymore. And if we don't walk in the spirit of God, listen, we can only lead other people into defeat. Parents, moms and dads in this room, college kids who are mentoring high school kids, high school kids who the junior high kids are looking up to you, listen to me. If you're not gonna walk in the spirit of God, but you're gonna claim the name of Christ, just be quiet, be quiet. Our walk and our talk needs to match because if we're not going to wear the armor of God from Ephesians chapter 6, one, we have no hope. Two, I can only lead people into defeat. I want to say something in regard to Alec's life. To honor him for a moment. I had him for two years in children's ministry and two years when I did the youth ministry here. And I want to say this there's a reason why teenagers are coming to Christ in the wake of this accident. There's a reason when people come to Christ because of stuff like this, there's a clear difference because somebody's walking with God. People all around him, we've heard story after story after story that Alec didn't wear the armor of man. Was he perfect? Was he perfect? Not by a long shot. Are you perfect? Not a chance. Do you want to be? Hope not. Not right now anyway, because that means you're God. I like being forgiven right now Till one day I stand in His presence and I'm made whole. But Alec didn't offer up the armor of man to people because he knew it would fail. He walked around in the armor of God and people saw the difference in his life and it's going to outlive those 17 years. Verse 41. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David, and the man who bore the shield, the shield-bearer, went before him. And when the Philistine looked around and saw David, he disdained him. He looked down on him because he was only a youth. This is a good description. I like this. ruddy and good-looking. I don't know why they put that in there. Verse 43. So the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. He says, I'm going to take your life and I'm going to lay it out on this field so that the birds and the beasts can peck away at it and destroy it. That was the worst thing you could do to somebody in battle. A proper burial was the only way to honor them. And he says, I'm going to do this to you. And look at what David says. Little boy David says this. You come to me with a sword, with a spear, with a javelin. But I'm coming to you in the name of the Lord, a host, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied and heaped shamed on. And this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you and take your head from you. And This day I'll give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. He says, I'm not just taking you down, buddy. I'm taking you and your whole army. How in the world can a 16-year-old boy say that to a grown, grown fighting man? Because he had confidence in God to fight the battle for him. He didn't know how this thing was going to go down except for God had to do it. Some of you this morning need to hear this, what David says next. He says, I'm doing this. Verse 46, that all the earth may know there's a God in Israel and all of this assembly and all of that assembly on the other side of the mountain over there will know the Lord doesn't save with a sword and spear because the battle is the Lord's. The battle belongs to God. You don't have to fight the giant in front of you. Jesus has already stepped on his neck. Jesus has already taken his cross, what looked like an instrument and a weapon of weakness, and he took his own weapon that looked like it was going to take Jesus' life, and he hacked off the head of Satan at the cross. When all looked lost, Jesus was winning. Why? Because he is the champion. Because he is the one who stood in on your behalf and my behalf. And some of you this morning, you just need to do this. You know what you need to do? In just a minute, when we sing to close, and we need to close up, You need to come down front you need to give your life to Jesus Christ right now and you need to line up to stand behind this champion because there is no other name under heaven by which you can or must be saved but to stand behind the man who went to the cross who stood on your behalf to secure salvation you couldn't earn because he loved you. And he loves you now. And scripture says in Romans chapter 8, he's up there with the Father and he's interceding on your behalf. And some of you this morning, your heart is thumping out of your chest and you're thinking, when are you going to hush so I can come down front and give my life to Christ? Somebody's going to get saved in here this morning. I wasn't even planning to preach this message on Friday morning. And Jerry calls me up and says, listen, I think we need to go another route. I don't do well with last-second changes. But I knew he was right, that God was saying, we need to go back to this passage and revisit it because this week looks like there was a giant out there who is taunting and haunting and calling us names and insulting us, and when he heaps shame on the name of my God, listen to me, God's coming through. And he wants to give some of you victory this morning. And you're not walking in victory because you're walking in the armor of man. And you're wondering why you're stumbling all over the place and you can't figure out how to use your sword and you don't know how to go to battle on behalf of yourself. You don't have to. Jesus already did. That's what gives you hope. That's what gives you joy. That's what gives you peace in the storm when you stand behind the champion because he fights on your behalf and you just stand there and cheer him on. I'm going to close up. I I did something totally different in the first service. I'm going to close up with this. I want to remind y'all of something this morning. Your struggle, your battle, whatever that thing is, if it's the events of this past week and you have been wrecked in your mindset and in your heart because of it, I want to say to you this. Your struggle can become the stage where God displays His strength in an amazing way. Because God sent a champion on your behalf to stand in your place. And He did it so that all the earth would know There's a God who saves. I don't know why. I don't know why. What happened last last Saturday morning happened. Have no clue. We never will know this side of eternity. But I know this God has brought life out of death. God has shown the spotlight into the darkness, and eyes have been opened, and lives have been changed, and people are standing behind a new champion—a new champion to them, because of Alex's life and his death. God is saving people. Maybe today is your day. I'm gonna shut up so you can come down front if you need to. But I'm not just talking to somebody who don't know the Lord. Some of you are struggling because you've got an enemy, a battle that's taunting you. Come down front. Get out of your seat. Walk down this aisle and kneel. There's something powerful about hitting your knees and surrendering. And kneel down right front here. Let's fill this place up. Let's fill this place up this morning. Because we have a champion who fought on our behalf. And we can go to him and ask for his help. Anytime because he made a way to the Father for us through his blood that cleanses our sin.